Hey guys, welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Solarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle hot nursing topics and current health news, one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for tuning in, listening. We really appreciate you guys. As you guys know, you guys know the drill. Please give us a five star. Drill team. Drill team. This That's is actually drill music. Drill music. This is a special episode because we're actually live streaming it. So we're running a test on Twitch and YouTube. I try to do Facebook, but there's a lot of um. You have to do some stream keying there, so I have to figure that point out. But yeah, PD, how you doing? Let's go over some C19 stats, and today we're going to talk about some cases about the flu, mm-hmm. and also nutrients that you are most likely to be deficient in. We're going to go over five. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I don't know if you went outside today, but it's cooling down. Like, you know, a few days ago, it was real hot, real humid, and then it, it rains a little bit, and then it gets, like, nice. So, like, it's so it's really nice outside. We should have done this outside for future, get a giant battery pack. But it makes a difference, by the way, in your um, runs. I don't know if you noticed, but when I came from Cali and started yeah. running here, the humidity is bad, man. Like it's you, harder. It's harder to run here than in California. It's just drier there. It's mm-hmm. easier to breathe, to be honest. Sometimes when I'm running out here with like fifty percent humidity, it feels like I gotta like force a breath in. Really? See, I haven't ran in San Diego. All the running I've been doing, but that was like back in like May and June time. Like it was, it was fine. So maybe. So I, basically, if I train here, I should probably be a pretty good athlete in San Diego, right? Maybe I could join the San Diego football team. Possibly. Maybe like a wide receiver. There you go. Absolutely not. I'm like 5'9", 150. I can be able to play any kind of football. You just had a freaking bowel surgery, so yeah. you're going to get wrecked, man. But, you know, when this weather's changing like this, you know, that means fall's coming, man. Fall's coming quick. That means we got to leave. Yeah, we got to leave. Get out of here. All right, guys. But C19, still very prevalent in the U.S., in the world. So I got you guys with the stats. You know, like our stats, like our numbers. I'm a numbers guy, but I do not have these memorized, so I'm going to read them off to you guys. So global cases, about 25 million with about 846,000 deaths. And the top states are going to be California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Georgia. And these are top states regarding cases, not deaths, just so you guys don't get the order confused. So California is number one with 700,000 cases with about 13,000 deaths. Then we have the great state of Texas. Shout out to Joe Rogan for moving there. Maybe we'll come visit you. Maybe you come visit us. Uh, 635,000 cases with 12,000 deaths. Then we have Florida, 619 cases with 11,000 deaths. Then a great state of New York with 464,000 cases and 33,000 deaths. That's a lot of deaths right there compared to the other states. And then Georgia, 267,000 cases with about 5,500 deaths. So still fairly prevalent. Everything's going on. But Keep in mind, guys, most of these deaths are people that are elderly, that are immunocompromised, that have other comorbidities and other like underlying issues like obesity, you know, cancers, different illnesses like COPD, things like that. And I was actually listening to the news a few days ago, and they're saying that because schools are starting to open back up, right? Labor Day is coming up. Schools are starting to get in session. And I believe, I'm not, mis- if I'm not mistaken, Florida is actually allowing schools to you know, be in session, like in, in class, not online. Fully, so, wow. Yeah, so we'll see how, how that goes. And that's good. Like, like even though the president has his own opinion, I believe these laws and these ideas should be state-run. You know, the state should decide that we're the United States. If a state wants to do one thing and another state wants to do another thing, let them do it. And that's good because then you could just compare. What if Florida does better than, you know, New York or, or better does better than Illinois, which is keeping schools closed? That's going to show us, hey, maybe closing schools isn't the best option. 
you know, just like face ma- masks, right? They shouldn't be mandated on a national level, which is something that a party wants to do for this election. I think it should be just like you say, hey, man, state run. Let's figure it out. Let's do it kind of that way. Yeah, like in 9-11, they took away our basically our inner privacy and our, like our phone privacy. And now they're going to tell us to wear masks. Like it's always something. It's like these little things that they take. They, hey, it's for the better good. It's, you know, it's like you said before with World War II, it's for your safety. Everything's for, for your safety. Well, yeah, it's, it's for our safety. But when is when do we jump over the bridge where it becomes our safety, but then it also becomes like taking away our freedom. Look at the definition of quarantine. Yeah. Quarantine means that you are staying in a confined space when you're sick. And it's safe, or, right? Or when you have a disease process that you are at risk of exposing other people. Mm-hmm. But we had a quarantine on a national level, right? Yeah. And everybody had to stay inside, even though if you're healthy. Like mm-hmm. we had to avoid the sun. Come on, man. We're like natural beings and we, we, we're taking that away. So yeah, it's... It's a bunch of goofy yeah. stuff. Every, every year or every few years, especially during election years, we we move the fine line of like personal freedom and like big government, basically. So like like safety for your freedom is what it essentially comes down to. So, you know, quarantine is, is, is very safe. If you wrap this room in bubble, bubble wrap and you throw me around, you know, it, it's safe. But then what kind of a life am I going to have? Like, I'll be safe my whole life. I'm not going to get hurt. You know, I'm not going to have anybody talk down on me if I'm in this one room. I might go mentally crazy. Right. But that's one of the things of safety. That's one of the one of the negative effects, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to go mentally insane. But, you know, just because people want more safety, more safety is not always necessarily uh, the best idea because it might be safe in one aspect, but then it might hurt you in another aspect. So that's my theory about before we get into the flu, like with about these protests, correct? We constantly see them on the news. We're seeing looting. We're seeing criminals. Our cities are being affected and it's continuing and we're still seeing it on the news. I feel like eventually we're going to be scared to damn leave the damn house because of this. Mm. What's going to happen? Okay, well, what if we just start patrolling the streets, checkpoints, curfews. maybe military curfews because it's for your safety. So like more and more, I feel like, yes, our like individual rights are being slightly stripped away and we're accepting it because we're being scared and it's saying like, you know, safety, safety, safety. Mm. Like the V from Data kind of, I'm going to rewatch that. Maybe I'll play over over the weekday. There you go. So, guys, we thought about that it's a good idea to talk about the flu right now because flu season is around the corner. I believe it starts sometime in October, right? October 1st? Yeah, technically October to like May is technically flu season. Yeah. And it starts every single fall, starts every single winter. And what do we try to do? We usually start with the vaccine, right? We have an influenza vaccine that, you know, we get every single year. Usually, I think you have two or three different kind of strains mm-hmm. and... Our goal is to hopefully give you the right strain that's going to be mutated for this year so your body's able to, because your immune system is like a book of knowledge and it remembers things. So if you expose it to the virus, it develops a antigen forward in a way where, hey, if you're being exposed to it, it's able to identify the threat and neutralize it properly. So we'll, I think last year the flu vaccine was a dud, right? It didn't really work, supposedly. Dude, I don't even know, man. That's like... They're obviously going to say that, that, it, that it works because, like, they want you to get the flu vaccine. But case-wise, so the thing with cases I was reading into, like, off the CDC website is that they're still trying to gather cases from 2017, 2018, you know? So that means they're still trying to gather cases from 2018, 2019 if they don't have all the cases from 17, 2017 to 2018, right? It's an ongoing thing because medical system, it takes a lot of time for things to get processed, to get through. You got to go through 
all the the HIPAA stuff, all the OSHA stuff, you know, reporting, you know, things get backlogged. It's not, it just takes years and years to get a nice accurate account for for all this. But like Matt said, yeah, like the flu vaccine, there's not one, there's not one influenza virus in there that is going to happen over like the 2020, 2021 year, right? It's like three or four. So we're banking on one of them is going to work or we're also banking on that that vaccine makes your immune system stronger. So even though we gave the wrong virus, but because your body already fought some type of influenza, it kind of has a little bit of like that's a knowledge to fight off another influenza. You know, so that's kind of the way it works. And it's going to be interesting to see because we'll see how C19 is going to be during during those months. Are we going to have a higher prevalence of C19 or, or, or influenza? You know, if testing isn't the best, isn't as accurate right now, or isn't, you know, has a lot of, uh, what is it called, false positives and false negatives, are we going to be able to differentiate between is it the flu or is this, you know, COVID-19 or C-19? Yeah, because think about it. So they say that when you do the PCR nasal swabs for C-19, that it could potentially be the flu, right? So what are we going to see in the winter months is my question. Are we going to see a spike in cases? But how are we going to be able to differentiate one from the other mm. if we're testing it and it kind of means the same damn thing? So that's why I'm a little bit skeptical about things. You know, like I'm not an anti-vaxxer, correct? Like I believe in the in the basic vaccines that we have out there. We should, yes, we should be taking the whole chicken pox or the MMRs, the uh, what's the other one? Geez, I'm blanking out here. We have also the, um, the, the polio one. The polio one. Right? Yes. Let's eradicate that. Yes. Let's not bring that back up. But it seems like some of these vaccines that we're having now, it's maybe it's more for business. As you know, um, this year, the business is going to be $60 billion, the vaccine market. I think, to be honest, that this year is going to be the biggest year for a flu vaccine. I feel like this year, people are going to get vaccinated for the flu more than ever. Yeah. Because they're going to push this flu vaccine so hard. Why? Because C-19 is happening. And the best way for us to differentiate differentiated is to get this flu vaccine which you know it's okay for for some people like i don't like my immune system is strong i don't feel like i need it but i still have to take it because i'm a healthcare worker so i'm required to take a flu vaccine so they're going to push this vaccine saying that hey you know these are very similar symptoms and the best way for us to treat you is going to be with the flu vaccine because then if you still get sick with flu-like symptoms so like c19 symptoms because they're both respiratory viruses so they have very similar you know mechanism of actions and very similar signs of symptoms right so people are going to push the vaccine say hey get vaccinated that way if you do get these symptoms we'll push more for the c19 over the flu because technically you already got vaccinated so you should be a little bit stronger against the, the flu versus c19 right it sounds very very and logical bang november 4th we get the c19 vaccine and i'm going to invest in some some stocks probably for um for vaccines now that i think about it yeah, man, I, I haven't been working for a couple of, um, well, it's been over two months, man, so I'm kind of holding my money for surviving, but I just have, I'm just invested in Moderna at the moment. Would you like to give, would you like me to give you personal loan, maybe? Personal loan? 6% interest? I'm okay. Three and a half, because I know you, dude. I mean, when, I, when I've been flipping stocks, I think I made over 20% plus, so technically that is a smart choice for me, but I'm going to stay away from um, taking loans out. Yeah, maybe we'll do a, a separate episode on um, how to invest in your nursing overtime money. That's actually pretty smart. Yeah, because like a lot of nurses don't know how to invest, or just like the majority doesn't know how to invest. They don't know how the stock market works. I mean, that's a great episode. So yeah, but then things are good when things are good. You know, once starts, once the stock market goes down, no one's gonna want to touch it. But, but you know, 
what we've noticed from the stock market is if it goes down, it always comes up. It does. You just got to hold your shit and don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Test along. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you have to learn how to do that. So maybe we'll have an episode for that. And if not, we'll save it for the premium subscribers on Patreon. Patreon. So yeah. Anyways, if you look at 2017, 2018, we'll go over some stats of influenza. Worldwide, there was 45 million cases. 810,000 people were hospitalized. And there was 65,000 deaths. That's for the U.S., 65,000 deaths. 65,000 deaths happened in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Every single flu. And it's kind of funny how every single year there has been a flu, but it wasn't brought into your attention on TV. So we just kind of went about our life. But all of a sudden we had C-19 happen and we had to freaking lock down the whole entire country because we had like a thousand deaths. And it's, it's just crazy how the media works and how it generates so much fear to the people that were like walking around with gloves and masks. And like, you know, I, I believe in social distancing. Yes, it's working. It's helping the virus do A, B and C. So we're not spreading the infection, but the fear that that happened it's it's very silly what happened man every single year we have deaths i just took an acls class yesterday and the number one cause of death in americans is heart disease Mm. more than cancer and the other ones combined correct so we have the number one cause of death how come we're not talking about it in the news you know we're not talking about prevention health getting rid of your damn vegetable oil like dude sugar is a silent killer that like is on the low low like we're not talking about the shit that it's doing right it's killing people sugar is addicting and it's hurting our body in a tremendous level including inflammation yet the number one killer is not talked about but if it was brought into your attention you'd be freaking scared and you'd be going through your damn fridge and dumping out all the damn saturated fats and sugar that's causing this but you know we want to make some money off you. Yeah, it's crazy. If you, like, think for you guys that work in healthcare, like, think, especially in hospitals, or actually, it doesn't even matter where, where you work. Like, think who is profiting off that patient going through the door. Yeah. You know, that's, it's insane. The hospitals are, the government is, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are, the physicians are, the nurses are, the CNAs are, the whole staff, staff is, all the other company, all the device manufacturers, that a person walking through the ER is literally unfortunately say like a walking money sign because you know they need sick people to to make money because otherwise there would be really no push for any kind of health care or any kind of all these medications and a lot of times we don't really focus on cures we focus more on treatments why because what's more profitable in our eyes a one-time cure or a treatment that works but you have to administrate it over three months over a week, over X amount of period, right? Yeah. That's more profitable. It, essentially, they're both doing the same thing. They're, they're both, they're both. you could say, cures, you know, because they are curing, but it's more of a long-term cure because they want you to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. So you pay them each time, you know, because no one wants to dish out, let's say a treatment costs a million dollars, okay, or a cure costs a million dollars. It's a lot harder for somebody to dish out $1 million. It's a lot easier for somebody to dish out 20 bucks a month over the next 40 years of their life, right? I like how you brought that up. And one way I like to summarize this is you have like these hidden companies in the healthcare that we don't see, correct? Like, for example, pharmaceuticals. Then we have the medical industry that's creating these equipment, these stents for patients, correct? 
just like in the military, we're thinking that, okay, we're fighting a war and stuff. Dude, there's private sector companies that are that are freaking signing up government contracts that are making billions of dollars off wars, right? But we're not talking about these. These are like, you know, hidden contracts that are just like under the shadows. Yeah. Same thing here. You have a doctor that signs for, hey, let's push this bill or let's try this type of device. And I would love for you to bring up the whole LVAD thing, how... What were you telling me that sometimes you have to keep these patients alive? Yeah, with like, cause we, it sounds kind of shitty, but on paper it makes sense. Like, it's the truth, man. Not that's so what, much that's what for, for LVADs about. and more for transplants. Okay, that's you what know, it is. But for LVADs, like unfortunately the hospital that I live in, we get dumped, uh, dumped on with patients that aren't the best candidates. And um, we do these LVADs anyways, because if that's, so it's very kind of moral based, more of an ethical kind of issue. Because like somebody comes in, they're very sick. There's no treatment for them besides the LVAD. Nothing else they can do besides LVAD. And even you know, even with the LVAD, they have a poor prognosis. What's an LVAD for those that are maybe not like medical so professionals? It's a left ventricular assist device. So basically, it pumps blood for you. It's like a machine that pumps blood for you instead of your heart. Yeah. You know, and people have heart failure that bad where their ventricles and you know atriums aren't able to contract properly. They need that machine because. They got to pump blood. Yeah. I'm going to stop you for one quick second. So basically yes, you have that. No, I already peed before the show, but you have, you have a left ventricle and the way that we measure its function is called ejection fraction, right? Yeah. How much blood gets squeezed out of that damn left ventricle that circulates your body. Eventually, if you have a shitty diet, you have high blood pressure for a while, your muscles going to hypertrophy, right? Mm. And, or if you do drugs, whatever the case might be, your, your heart cannot supply its own blood. Yeah. So you're... So when you think of hypertrophy, like for your quads, for your legs, hypertrophy is good. Muscles are getting bigger. It's getting strong. But for the heart, when your muscle hypertrophies, the chamber on the inside actually shrinks. The muscle gets bigger, but that hollow hole on the inside gets smaller, right? So eventually your, your ventral gets, your specifically your left ventral gets so big or it cannot pump out blood. Yeah. Because even though it can pump, the, the, the chamber inside is so small where it's not going to, it's not going to sustain life. So what that machine does is actually takes blood from your left ventricle, bypasses the pump. Some sometimes the heart still pumps, you know, and then the aortic valve opens up. It's, it depends on 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 how how sick the person is, and it basically just takes that blood from left ventricle and puts it directly into the aorta. And it's like a centrifuge. It just nonstop. A lot of times people don't have pulses. A lot of times people are exposed to other patients for the first time. They freak out because they have no pulse, and they're just like, "Holy shit, this guy's dead!" But he's walking and talking to me. Like, how does it make any sense? So that's, that's kind of the, the way it works. And what were we talking about before that? We were talking about how for transplants. Oh, yeah. It's so a numbers thing. Yeah, it's a number thing. So for, there's, it's not just, and nobody could just be like a transplant hospital. You got to have good numbers, uh, good outcomes, right? So like the key mark goal is, is one year. You want to have somebody that has a new heart live at least that one year, you know? And we have very good surgeons. We have a very good facility. It's just sometimes our patients are just that sick where it just happens to, to not work out, you know? And sometimes, you know, the hearts aren't just available on call. Sometimes you have to just, just say, hey, this guy's going to die within, you know, a few months. Let's try this heart. And of course, the patient accepts. You get to explain the benefits, the negatives, what can happen. And sometimes, you know, we don't always have the perfect heart for every individual. And that kind of sucks. And same way, even though we have a perfect heart, we don't have a perfect candidate. It's kind of give or take. So like sweating over here, but so that's kind of this, how, how it works. You know, we're not robots. It's not just when you go to a car, you know, they swap out your, you know, your oil pump with another oil pump. That's exactly the same for that model. Right. So how it works. But yeah, so one year is like the goal mark. And if 
your transplants live past that one year mark, that's like a nice green check. That's positive. But if they die before that, that's like shows it's a failure. You know, even though from like our nursing standpoint, you know, we try to keep these people alive as, as long as possible because not only do we not want to take get our program taken taken away, we do legit care about these people. You know, but sometimes you have these people that you know should kind of pass away, but they're like still alive. Not just we, we like to keep them alive yeah. for the sake of that green check mark, just like Peter yeah. says, and it's unethical sometimes. But sometimes, but it's not just do. like it's not just like us making decisions. No, we're not, we're not just saying like, hey, no, we're gonna keep doing it. It's a, that's all. Also, the family, like the family, can withdraw or the patient can kind of withdraw the care whenever they want. It's not always like the physicians hound you got them like, like yeah we got a chance we got a chance there is sometimes sometimes like that but you know the physicians generally think that these people have a chance yeah you know so it's kind of kind of the gray area you could say it, it's it's a yeah I was gonna say it's a green oh, green green, green check. check green check it's a gray area for sure and like one thing is like when I was travel nursing there was this orthopedic surgeon that did not want to put Foley's or I'm sorry no he didn't put Foley's to begin with no pure wicks you know what pure wick is what's pure wick Pyrrhic is, um, it's like a female catheter, external. So basically, you have like this little device that's shaped like a banana. Like, like a banana. You put it next to the, um, trying to find the labias. Out. The labias. There we go. Professional term. Matt's here. got a bunch about his female anatomy over here. Yeah, female anatomy. And basically, you connect it to a suction catheter. So when the female pees, it captures into this banana shaped device, goes into a suction canister. He cared so much about his numbers so they don't get UTIs post surgery. He did not want freaking those um, ca- external female catheters on his patients. Damn. So he prefers the patient wetting the damn bed on the chucks and changing the patient instead of connecting that device, which makes it easier for nurses, you know? Mm. But that's, yeah, sometimes it's a n- numbers game and these physicians care about that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because, I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes don't, they don't work those pure wicks. Yeah. Those female catheters, they, they don't work all the time, but when they do work, dude, it's so clutch, man. And we are supposed to change them out every like twenty four hours, or I think every shift we change them out. Every twelve hours we change them out. I don't see, see the I don't see the issue, but you know, physicians, you know, they're they're their own own person. They can make their own decision. It is their numbers that get affected. But like, think about his UTI numbers might have went down, but does he get affected by skin breakdown? You know, does that does that get to that consideration? Yeah, yeah. See, he does not. I think he cares more about the number that he's caring for, which is getting urinary tract infection. So he wants to decrease that. So he prefers, I guess, the urine going on the chuck instead of being, you know, pulled in where that banana-shaped catheter is next to yeah. the labia. Yeah, I don't think he probably, he probably does get dinged because I feel like the UTIs, the physician could get dinged for, but skin breakdown, I feel that's like a nursing-driven kind of thing, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, as long as his knee surgery went fine, she started walking in three She's days, peeing, yeah. no UTIs, he doesn't care that she developed a freaking stage two from sitting and from having a wet chuck yeah, or something. Yeah, she's been turning you know here, I mean? right? Yeah, should be turning your Q2. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, that's the truth about healthcare that we just chat about openly, right? <laughs> yeah, but real quick, so with um, the flu vaccine, not the vaccine, with the with the flu, the worldwide last year, I think it was 2018, um, there has been 832,000 deaths worldwide for the flu. So we had the 65,000 deaths that resulted from the flu 2017, 2018 in the United States. But you guys got to realize that we do have a flu vaccine. Um, we do push more for flu treatment and and we're more aware of the flu compared to other countries so we're not going to suffer as much from the flu COVID 19 c19 a little bit different because it's new to us as it is new to the other other countries so today we have what in the united states let me check real quick death wise in the u.s we have i pulled it up over here i didn't put in the show notes but i looked it up real quick we have 186,000 deaths 
Okay. Just in US, US alone with uh, C19. And like, you know, the World Health Organization estimates that every single year, we're going to have anywhere from 290,000 to 650,000 of flu-related deaths worldwide. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, people are dying from it. You know, it's yeah. okay. And we're going to be dying from this virus that's out now, too. It's nothing new, man. Viruses have been out forever. I don't know how long. I don't want to Billions say evolution. Of years. Billions of years. There we go. Let's just quote that one. Don't quote us on billions. <laughs> And, it has um, billions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Billions of years. Easy. You quote me on that one. Billions of years. I guarantee viruses, viruses have been around for billions of years. For sure. For sure, dude. And um, so it's like, it's nothing new. We're still dying. And it doesn't mean we have to close our economy and do all this other stuff. You know, like it, that was just ridiculous, yeah. man. Yeah, temporary is okay. Temporary closures, completely fine. Hey, we're all willing to sacrifice for the, for the greater good. Because even though the elderly are dying from this more, more than, you know, others, still like we love our elderly. We don't want to have our grandpa or someone's grandpa to pass away or grandma or anybody like that. But technically there is, so like Matt said, it's about, they estimate about 650,000 deaths a year from the flu, right? Yeah. We're at 846,000 deaths for C19, right? Which if you think about it, you know, yeah, it's scary. It's a big number, but it's not as big as it could be. Because think about it, this is a, a new virus for all of us. So we have not found, well, we have found some treatments, but we have not fully tackle this like we did the flu like we experienced that the flu so much there's other vaccines we know different strains we know how it mutates all that jazz so andrew 46,000 might seem, seem like a lot but there has definitely been worse worse pandemics yeah. in the world and this is 846 this is, this is like the, the peak because it, think about it guys sh- this should decrease by a little bit every year right that means we're doing a good job if this decreases every year so right. we got andrew 46,000 this year maybe in 2021 2022 year we're gonna have like you know 700,000 or 500,000 or, or zero. You never yeah. know. Maybe we, maybe we're going to find a cure for it. That's not going to be like the one that's more of a treatment base is going to be like a one-time thing or like might get a flu vac, might get a C19 vaccine. You never know, but this is the, this is the peak here for C19. We're going to get better at treating it. And just like with everything else. Yeah. It's our first year of experimenting with this. So you live and you learn and we'll continue adapting to exactly what's going on. We're very resilient creatures, man. Humans are very, very resilient. We just kind of figure stuff out and we so move forward. For cactuses, yeah, man, they, they require so little water. Um, so let's talk about the fo- five most common nutrient deficiencies that we're facing uh, globally. And remember that supplementation is not the key to health and a sustainable, healthy diet. We need to be consuming this from a balanced diet, these nutrients. It's not just taking a pill and we're good to go and we could go eat our Pop-Tarts and stuff like that. And that's where you know, we're seeing deficiencies in the Western diet, mostly in these important nutrients is because we think that supplements is just the key to doing things, you know, we don't eat our greens and stuff like that. But let's go over the first one. So the first one that's most commonly a nutrient deficient is iron. And if you look at, um, I just, I just went to 19, if you're 19 to 50 year, a male should be consuming eight milligrams of iron and a female should be consuming 18. And if you're pregnant, you should be consuming 27 milligrams. The reason why females have more is because they menstruate and they lose iron literally every single month. But iron is a super essential element for blood production. Literally 70% of our body has iron in it and it's located in our red blood cells, hemoglobin. And it's also stored in our muscle cells and it's called myoglobin. Basically hemoglobin, which iron is a part of, is very important for transferring oxygen 
from the lungs to the tissue and from every single cell. So it's a very, very, very important thing. And that's one thing that C19 does as well is somehow it stops that transferring of molecules. I think I was reading something that it's like inhibits some kind of iron production, like hemi, mm-hmm. hemi, um, don't quote me on it. Anyway, so according to who, there's who? literally 25% people that are deficient in iron worldwide. And most common consequence of iron deficiency is going to be anemia, where you have way too little production of red blood cells, which inhibits the carrying capacity of oxygen, basically, around the body. Some symptoms that you might, you know, experience is being tired, having pale skin, your hands and feet might be clammy, the extremities, you might have like a weakened immune system, burden nails, and things like that. They need iron. You need iron? You a little bit cool there? Maybe a little bit nervous, you had some coffee, caffeine spiked it up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe you never know, dude. And there's two main sources of iron. One is um, hemi-iron and one is non-hemi-iron. So hemi-iron is the best form of iron. It's well-absorbed by the body. And it's basically found in animal foods, particularly in red meat. And I love myself a good piece of steak. So red meats, you got um, organ meats, shellfish, and some, you know, sardines, things like that. I haven't had organ meats for a while. Like, I don't know why I used to live back at home. My, my parents used to make liver, like, every so often. I haven't had any organ meats in a while. It's very good to eat, man. Yeah. I don't think, I, last thing I consumed was, um... So I think. Organ meats, nah. I haven't had any organ meats for a while. I just have some bone marrow and stuff like that from, like, that's good meat, from, like, the slow cooker. It tastes mm. good, man. Like, that's the stuff that we need. Plus, it has, like, all these important properties to help prevent osteoporosis mm. and stuff like that. And the next one, we have the non-hemi iron, and it's not as easily absorbed, but it's found in your leafy greens, such as kale, spinach, broccoli, beans, and seeds, and stuff like that. And a quick tip for those that are wondering, you can't just take an iron pill and just, like, so be it, your body's going to absorb it. So vitamin C actually enhances your absorption of iron. So eating a a rich vitamin C food, such as oranges or kale, bell pepper, alongside with your iron pill or iron-rich foods, it's going to actually help iron absorption. Mm. Solid, dude. Another nutrition... uh, Nutrient deficiency. Yeah, there you go. Another nutrient deficiency that is very common. Um, I know I have people that have it. It's related to iodine. So... The daily recommended value of iodine consumption is 150 micrograms for adults and children above the age of four. And the upper limit is like 1100, so don't be worried about, you know, being, being like toxicity-wise. People rarely develop like toxicity symptoms. But your iodine is most related to your thyroid. So if you're low on iodine, you're low on, on your thyroid. So you have hypothyroid. So hypothyroid is actually interesting. A lot of people get confused with hyperthyroid. But for hypo, that's H-Y-P-O, hypothyroid, you're going to have a high level of TSH because it's thyroid secreting hormone. So imagine if you have a low producing organ and it's trying to produce more of, you know, what it's, what it's supposed to produce. So in this case, T3, T3, T4. So we need more T3, T4. And what produces that is your TSH. So your body's going to rev up the production of TSH, but it can't convert the TSH into the T3, T4 because you have hypothyroid. So your TSH is going to be high and your T3 and T4 is going to be, to be low. Very common. I know a handful of people that have it. Like I have a few aunts that have it. Um, I know of, like a few other women that have it. It's, I'm trying to think about what percentage. Maybe like I want to say 25% of the women that I, that I know that are, that are older have hypothyroid. 
And the most common thing we see with hypothyroid is like the goiter, which is a, a large prostate. Like if you think of BPH, like benign prostate hypertrophy, where your prostate, you know, increases in size, the same thing happens with, with the thyroid. Yes. Because it's trying to produce more that T3, 3, 4, but it can't, so it grows to compensate and, you know, increase the TSH, but, you know, it never really is able to successfully create more T3, 3, 4. A lot of people take thyroid medication for that, um, you know, so levothyroxine, the, the, the most common one. Um, some of the signs symptoms you're going to see is, so these signs symptoms with these nutrition def, def, uh, deficiencies, they're going to be very common It's or and grouped up. So specifically with hypothyroidism, you're going to have the goiter, but you're also going to have fatigue, weight loss, just feeling tired. You might have dry, dry hair, your hair might fall out, uh, flaky skin, trouble learning and remembering. And also you're going to feel cold all the time. So if you feel cold all the time, you might have hypothyroidism. You might not have the full blown, but you might just have low T3, T4 compared to like hyperthyroidism, which if you look at me right now, I'm sweating. I, for who knows, maybe this coffee is giving me hyperthyroidism, but no, it's just the effects of the, of the caffeine. Some of the key sources of um, iodine are gonna be, majority of it is in seaweed. I I think I've ate seaweed like twice in my life, if that even. When I get sushi, I like it. Oh yeah, with sushi, I forgot. But I have had sushi in, sushi in a while. I have sushi a lot, but I think I put a lot of seaweed. Cause the, the, the wrap is seaweed, isn't it? Depends. The seaweed wrap. Sometimes Depends. you can get a seaweed soup from them. It tastes really good. Mm-hmm. I never had the seaweed soup, but they do wrap the sushi in seaweed though. So yeah, if I get sushi, I guess I guess I eat seaweed. But um, with that is one gram of kelp has over 5,000% of the daily value of, of iodine. So eat a few sushi rolls and you're, in, you're good to go, I guess. <laughs> you know. So uh, next is fish. About three to four ounces of fish can provide about half your daily value of, of iodine. So I know some people don't like fish or have allergies to fish or have, are allergic to iodine, then you're gonna need to find different different sources. You could have, you know, supplements that, you know, will provide it for you. Or, you know, some people just, you get it from different sources. You can, not only fish, dairy has it and, and eggs. So just because you can't have fish doesn't mean you can't get any iodine and you gotta take a supplement. No, you could just get it from dairy or fish. If you're vegan or vegetarian, well then you gotta need to find some other stuff online for you because I don't have a solution for you at this moment in time. Yeah, it's, it sucks to be vegan take a pill no offense um and i would love to make a podcast episode about like iodine like what causes your body to become deficient in as a specific foods because like we're people don't realize that we're hormonal creatures like we need cholesterol for that reason right because hormones are creating every chemical reaction in our body almost and it's signaling different parts of the body to do different like things right Mm -hmm. So I'd love to kind of dive into that or have somebody that's an endocrinologist on in the near future. So cool. that's why, guys, if you guys keep supporting the show and, you know, giving us the five star, we keep on, you know, if keep you keep on giving, we keep on giving. The show is only going to get better because we could bring on higher quality guests because they're going to know like, oh, OK, couple of nurses is a pretty solid show here, you know. Um, but yeah, so the next nutrient deficient deficiency, I should say, is vitamin D. It's hard to say nutrient deficiency. I keep getting mixed up in my head. So we have a recommended intake of 400 to 800 um, international units a day, which is 10 to 20 micrograms. However, some studies suggest that you can have a higher intake, which is 1,000 to 4,000 international units, 25 to 100 milligrams, which is needed for optimal blood levels. I know we listened to podcasts before that they talk about taking higher supplements, especially during this time, C19. They also talk about taking higher doses, especially if you know, we're quarantining, we're not being exposed to sunlight as much. And those that are further away from the equator might need a vitamin D supplementation or more sunlight. 
And if you have darker skin, darker pigmented skin, you're going to require more sun exposure or more vitamin D if you're deficient because you have higher pigmentation. So your, your body's not absorbing or your skin is not absorbing as much. So vitamin D is a fat soluble and it functions like a steroid in your body. It literally travels through the bloodstream into cells and it tells genes to turn on and off. And like our body's always regulating genes on and off, which is, you know, mind blowing because we think we're this DNA structure and this is our DNA. But the study of epigenetics kind of exposes us that we have different genes that regulate on and off depending on what's happening. Mm. And literally almost every single cell in your body has a receptor for vitamin D. It is converted. Um, it is produced from cholesterol when it's when your skin is exposed to sunlight. And unfortunately, according to the World Health Organization, Literally 42% of the U.S. population is deficient in vitamin D. Go outside, guys. You said go inside? Go outside. Go outside, please, yeah. Um, and you're more prone to it if you're a premenopause woman, if you have poor nutritional eating habits, and of course, if you're the age of 65 and you're also getting at risk for osteoporosis. So if you're Caucasian, you should also avoid minimal or you should avoid minimal sun exposure for the whole, you know, sunburn and sun cancer stuff. But just just be, you know, just be smart about it. Mm. If you're going outside, maybe put some, you know, sunscreen on. I know it inhibits that, but, you know, the drill. drill. And um, sometimes the best sources is, of course, sunlight. But if you're supplementing, I think cod liver oil is A1 fatty fish, and also an egg yolk. So if you consume one large egg yolk, it contains 7% of your daily value. So it's, vitamin D is kind of hard to get if you think about it. Number one, number one spots from sunlight, you know, go outside for like an hour, dude. Just sit down and take your shirt off and just lay there. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Or, yeah, go for a walk, whatever you have to do. And like note that like vitamin D deficiency is not part of a standard screening in the U.S. So if you go to Maybe your... now, because of C19... Potentially, yeah, that would be lovely. Because if you go to your doctor's, like he's not gonna recommend you to take a vitamin D level test. I think I did last time I went because I told them I work night shift. My vitamin D was normal. I also checked my B12 because that's another thing of the night shift. And I mentioned this on episode 10 of the current health news update, but I'll mention it again. So historically, vitamin D has been known to prevent like respiratory viruses and something with a molecular mechanism of vitamin D somehow prevents respiratory infections and it protects against ARDS actually. So that's why you've been hearing about it during this whole C19 thing. Um, Vitamin D has like a direct effect on the angiotensin system, RAS, Hmm. which um, it kind of modifies the host responses. Thus, it kind of prevents the cytokine storm that we've been hearing that kind of creates this chronic inflammation when the pathogen um, affects things. And the way like C19 kind of travels and it uses the RAS system, I believe it has, what is it like the key to like the RAS system, right? If you were to explain it. Yeah, like key in a lock. It's like a key in a lock and it's able to enter the cells that uses the RAS system, which is mostly located in your lungs. So that's why we're seeing these like respiratory infections, ARDS, crazy pneumonia from C19 specifically. And AKI and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, previously I talked about it as well that there's studies, and this is an article that you could find on like a government study website or on the, I should say, the our government website. 
and it was titled Estimation Inactivation of Coronavirus by Solar Radiation. And basically it checks what are the effectiveness of UVB rays, which inactivates the C-19 virus worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it says that within exposure to sunlight of this airlized virus, anywhere from 11 to 34 minutes at a regular midday in most US countries and world cities during summer, 90% of the virus will be eradicated and inactivated, Mm -hmm. which is mind blowing. But, you know, I have not heard about that on the news because if we did say about the news, then we'd be all outside and hanging out and... Well, social distancing and staying inside and quarantining. And also it's like, okay, but then your question is as well, if it's sunlight and you're in California, how come we're seeing all these cases, right? Well, you have to realize that this virus is when it's just hanging out in the air. But if we're spreading and we're interacting with humans, not social distancing, then yes, we're... We're, you know, exposing ourselves from host to host. Yeah. And, and population the, is dense. Exactly. In like LA, think about it, New York, it's dense. Like a lot of people in one area, you know, technically LA probably shouldn't have as much people there as it does now, but we keep building up and obviously it's, it's going to be easier for transmission, right? Yeah. And that's another thing is like, look at, look at the homeless population in LA. It's freaking dense. Like there's so many of them, right? And they're not dying or being sick or it's being reported. Somehow their immune systems are working just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm looking at my, myself in a camera and dude, I'm sweating right now. Shout out to like Juicy J, Pop Molly. I'm sweating. Now it's more like how about a couple of nurses? I'm sweating, you know? Yep. I, like I my shoes on my lower, like my lower left, it just keeps getting darker and darker each time I look up. I don't know why I'm sweating. Don't overthink it, man. I'm not overthinking. I'm just saying, dude. Probably made this coffee, dude. I put it. I don't know. Are you done with the, with your little rant? I am. <laughs> All right, guys. The next one that people are deficient is vitamin B12. So with vitamin B12 and folic acid also goes goes together. So what I remember from nursing school and, I'm, and I know now is a lot of vitamin B12 deficiencies and folic acid deficiencies in pregnant women those lead to like neurological and spinal defects in children like spina bifida so it's very important for you to consume b12 i know a few years back there was an issue where there was a higher prevalence of like spina bifida and these kind of neurological defects in children um, and it was linked this is when they finally found out that hey why b12 folic acid is important that's why when you get pregnant for a woman out there it's recommended by physicians usually to take a b12 supplement or like a folic acid supplement so you don't get a child with spina bifida because it's it is a very traumatic and very um hard disease to to have on a kid and on yourself. You know? Oh, yeah. So according to the, um, what is it, the CDC or who, who, yeah, I think it's the CDC, right? That provides its daily value information. Some nutritional people in the government, they recommend anywhere from 1.8 to 2.4 micrograms of, of B12 a day. Doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, it's key to, key to get this because our body cannot, cannot make this, right? No, it actually can make it. It's water-soluble. No, it sorry it's water soluble so your body does not make it but it doesn't store it either yeah so you tell you on the good note you can't really overdose on it you know so vitamin b12 are responsible for red blood cell formation brain function and nerve function that is why we see kids come out with these kind of neurological defects and spinal defects you know um when they when they are, when they are delivered um sometimes people so with vitamin b12 um it's Absorb differently than other water-soluble vitamins because it needs a specific protein to be absorbed. And what happens, you know, we're all different. So sometimes our genetics don't have this specific protein that is needed to absorb vitamin B12. So a lot of times people get vitamin B12 injections or they take large quantities of vitamin B12 because they don't have a lot of those proteins. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting because 
I gave a vitamin B12 injection, I think like twice in my life to a, to a patient. And I was, and I was interested, like, well, why does it happen? Because there's like a little protein. You need this protein to absorb the vitamin B12 efficiently. Yeah. And it's, and it's very important for like red blood cell formation. Mm-hmm. So you might be getting enough iron, but your body's not absorbing or getting enough B12. And that's also affecting your anemia. Right. Yeah. And that's the reason why, you know, that's why medicine is so beautiful, man, because every patient's not the same. You know, yeah. one patient, you may be able to give iron and they're fixed or hemoglobin is increasing. And another one, it's not. And we might have to troubleshoot and check a B12 level or whatever the case might be. Right. Yeah. So signs you're going to see, remember guys, it's going to affect your blood, your spinal, your nerves. So you're going to have constipation, weight loss, loss of appetite, weakness, fatigue. And one of the major indicators is going to be your megaloblastic anemia. So this is a blood disorder where you don't produce enough red blood cells, right? So you don't produce enough of them. So Remember how we talked about the hypothyroid where you don't have enough T3, T4 and your thyroid gets bigger? Same with the B12. So you don't have enough red blood cells. So these red blood cells are going to be kind of mutated. They're going to be bigger in size, but they're not going to be more efficient. They're just trying to compensate for, for lack of numbers. Yeah. And that's probably the most common ones. And your main sources of vitamin B12, shellfish, organ meats, and just meats in general, red meats are going to have a lot of vitamin B12. If you eat a good amount of meat every day, you should be able to hit 100% plus your daily value of, of B12. 100% plus. Yeah, so Peter from there quoted that. So I highly recommend women eating some meat once in a while, you know? No pun intended. <laughs> had to say it, dude. You had to say it. Okay, it's cool. Next, you got calcium coming up. You want to talk about calcium? Let me talk about calcium. We could chat about it. Yeah, so calcium, guys, uh, the daily value recommendations for calcium is about four to 1,300 milligrams of, of calcium. So when we think of calcium, it's calcium is one of those vitamins that's that's in like four or five cereals. It's in a lot of things that are fortified with, with vitamins. Like, you know, how, if you look on your box of cereal, there's a bunch of vitamins there and minerals that are put in there artificially, you know, for you to consume so you need defects. Calcium is one of them. It's also high in milk and, and all that stuff, but it's essential for every bone. It's actually, when we think of calcium, a lot of people think of bones, teeth, things like that. But people don't understand that it's also related to growth. It's also related to, to your heart, to your nerves. Calcium plays a big role. If you go into a heart arrhythmia and you know your majority of your lights are fine and your calcium is off, that could be giving you the, the heart arrhythmia. That's how important it is. Calcium is literally used by almost every cell in our body. Yeah, like your heart cannot beat without freaking calcium. Mm-hmm. Your muscles cannot contract or relax without calcium. Your nerves literally cannot communicate with each other without calcium. So calcium is regulated, man. And just like in the hospitals, like we supplement from all these that we're kind of listing here. I give calcium and gluconate probably the most often. It's very, very important. Mm. Yeah, it's very tightly managed too. It's not like one of the, because when you think of testosterone, there's like this giant uh, spectrum. It could be, it could be f- like, I got to look into this, but it's, it's, there's a very wide range of how much testosterone you can have. Calcium is more nitty gritty, more tightly, um, tightly handled in the blood. So if you have low calcium, what your body does is it takes away the calcium from your bones and brings it into the blood. And we have too much calcium or, or a good amount or more then you know you require you put that back in your bone so a lot of issues with calcium is you don't consume enough calcium where's your body getting calcium from your bones so that's why you're going to see a lot of these these um signs symptoms that are related to like to like your bone formation and things like that like osteoporosis is, is a is a key one osteoporosis porous bone is basically what it means osteo means bone porous means you know porous porous so if you don't have enough calcium in your body guess what your bones are gonna be weaker you're gonna be brittle you're gonna be more prone to breaking yeah, and some, sometimes people told me if you have like those little white spots on your fingernails, supposedly that's low calcium, but that might be a myth. White spots on your fingernails? Yeah, supposedly that's, you know, low calcium. Like this stuff? 
the cubicle stuff? No. Because I don't. pick at my all the fucking time, dude. You don't gotta Sorry. swear, man. Little dots like this if you look at my... I don't know, man. My mom told me that I'd have to fact check a Polish person here because... I mean, I have like a white line. Because um, I was, you know, I was um, ordering vitamins for my grandma and some, someone, lady told her, order order C90 uh, or C60, which is antioxidant. And it's, you know, it's absorbed in olive oil and super healthy for you. And I looked it up and it says it's only intended for scientific research mm. and it's not backed up by anything. And the lady's like, oh, you have an American way of thinking. Right away, she just like bashed me about things. I'm like, I, I'm like, grandma, I'm not going to order this for you because yeah. there's no research for taking this. You know, you could find antioxidants in freaking dark chocolate, some strawberries, some blueberries or vegetables. Vegetables, exactly. There's no, But, you know, people like just like the vaccine business, like supplementations is a business within itself mm-hmm. too, man. And they push these little things, you know. Just like um, working out, man, they, there's like BCCAs, there's creatine, there's all these different amino acids you need to take, and then you need post-workout, then maybe you should have some protein. Oh, don't forget to take protein casein because it digests slower, so your body's able to be fed throughout the night. There's so much bro science in that industry too, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. And some of the, believe it or not, I used to go by some bro science back in the day, like, you know, as we're like, especially like when we're high school, college, like bro science is where it's at because... You know, you're developing, you're growing, everything's about growth, growth, you know, you get swole, you get big, everything's growth, and they're feeding you supplements and like putting you on these standardized uh, templates of when you should eat what, what protein is the best best to consume, at what time should you eat it before you work out, after workout, in between, what should you drink, intra-workout, like it's crazy, dude, it's it's all supplements, like some of this stuff is not beneficial, nor does it hurt you, but someone's just trying to make some money off it, yeah. so they can't harm you and it can't do you any good. You know, it's, but why don't you sell it? It's just like us, you know, like they say to eat six meals a day. We do intermittent fasting, correct? And I don't recommend it for everybody. I think it's healthy. It works for me. My body's adapted to it. Mm-hmm. But maybe for some people, they just can't handle that. And that's totally okay. Yeah. Like the thing with like working out and eating healthy, balanced diets, every human is different. And you should curate your diet to yourself. No one should tell you to eat this way. Mm-hmm. And if they are, they're just following the damn trend just like everybody else. Like, Unless your dog is telling you to lose some weight, then then you should probably take listen. Yeah, you should probably eat a little bit less. Yeah. It's all That's all mathematical in that case. Calories in and calories out. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to mention about calcium is that when it comes to like deficiency and like osteoporosis, like it's hard to like find out signs and symptoms. Like, you know, you can't just look at somebody like, oh, damn, I have my calcium has been low all month. My bones are getting burned. Yeah, like, I feel it. That shit happens over years and decades sometimes. So just be aware of it. Just figure out what you're kind of consuming. Maybe your nails are becoming bur- brittle. Maybe that's one of the little things. Maybe your muscles are spasming. You're having Charlie horses frequently like at night. One, yes, that could be possibly um, dehydration or potassium, but also be could be calcium. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you are your own experiment in a way in the human body. So yeah. just troubleshoot that things. And just like us, you know, we've, we've been, I experimented with so much damn little things. Like I went keto for a week. We went vegan for six months, you know, like. It's interesting. You, you just experiment exactly. But the thing is, is you just have to try. Don't listen to one form of, hey, this is the right way to do it. Like keto was that huge trend, dude. Yeah. Like everybody hopped on keto. You lose weight. And that everybody listened. Okay, I'm going to hop on keto too. But they were feeling like shit. They felt like they had the flu. And some people hop back on it. They gained the weight back. Like you got to try before you buy. You know, before you commit something, just try it. You know, that also goes with your, with your valves of the heart. Exactly. So it's like just be experimental. Be open to new things. And 
take time to listen to your body, see how you feel, you know, or introduce new foods in and out. And yeah, we could, we could keep on talking this forever because I love this stuff. So, yeah, I know. so somewhere down the line, we have to wrap up this show. Yeah, guys, if you're lacking calcium, drink some milk, drink a glass of milk. That's like a third of your daily value of calcium. Drink three. Drink one in the morning, afternoon, and in the evening. Or if you're having trouble falling asleep, you can always do like a little bit of honey, a little bit of milk, and it also prevents some allergies. If you take a lot of like, for me, damn, I've been slacking on my honey. That's probably why I'm getting my allergies. Usually to prevent my allergies, I usually take, like I usually eat honey almost every day. And I've been slacking for the past like two or three months and I got my allergies back. Yeah, they say, so yeah, for those that are wondering why honey works like that, so it's just like you exposing yourself to little things. So if you're allergic to seasonal allergies, which is pollen, well, honey can, you know, has a little bit of pollen in it, especially local, especially local. And then you're consuming, you know, a little bit of honey. So you're exposing your immune system to this pollen. So then when you breathe it in from grass or when you have un- unhealthy like levels in your uh, in your city, you're not going to start freaking out. Your immune system's not going to become so overreactive because mm-hmm. it's been exposed to little drops of this pollen. Exactly. I kind of said it better myself. It's just like those people that have the OCD or an anxiety or phobias, whatever the case might be, let's just say you're afraid to approach a damn girl or if you're a female, you're afraid to go in an elevator. Go in an elevator. Sure, man. Like in order to break that phobia, break that anxiety, you have to give yourself incremental little stimulations, Mm -hmm. exposures to that to actually change, you know? And a psychologist or whoever therapist is going to tell you the same damn Mm -hmm. thing, except you got to pay for it. You do. So So you should get it from us, you know? Get it from us, yeah. Speaking of exposure, thank you guys for exposing yourself to us. Had a nice chat. If you guys like live stream, stay, keep tuning in. I like our background of our live stream. I think it's fucking cool. Um, we're, I don't think we're going to change it. We should leave it like that, the way it is. Agreed. We were kind of on the fence about it, but I like the way it looks. And it actually matches your wall in your room too. So we're going to need to repaint. We're going to need to paint. Everywhere we travel, we're going to need to paint a wall. We have to learn how to do it. We could, we could do it. YouTube. We'll fly in Stephanie and Dan again. Yeah. We're going to have to like um, travel nurse with like four buckets of paint. Yeah. <laughs> with four different colors just to make sure that we could paint this kind yeah, of beautiful the, wall. And the lease is going to be like... um. You know, it'd be in a contract, I'll, able to paint one wall per building. Per building, yeah. We could probably make that happen, man. Yeah. The world is ours, man. Just like with everything that we have going on that we're working on secretly, guys, which has been a freaking mission. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Let's wrap this up, baby. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Chat soon.